All right, so if you can get to John chapter 1, that's where we'll start, and then Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to end. So if you have two ribbons, put them in that spot, or those spots, I should say. I'd encourage you to come back tonight, if you would, please. And uh, we're going to be, uh, in some respects, kind of deputizing you uh, for the work of next week. Next week is our True Purpose Sunday, and we are uh, endeavoring to help our families and our friends understand the purpose, the true purpose of Jesus Christ. That's our first message. The following week, we're going to be looking at the true purpose of man. And so this Sunday kind of launches a bit of a sermon series that we hope uh, to be able to engage both our church family and then our church family's family. And uh, so True Purpose Sunday is all about relationship evangelism, you bringing your family and friends. And so we've been looking a lot about that idea about going home with the gospel, going back to your, your home and to your friends, as the maniac of Gadara was told, or the woman at the well, she went back into the city, uh, and that city was full of people she had disappointed and who had disappointed her. And uh, so we've been looking the last few weeks at that idea. We'll look again this morning, but I really do want to encourage you to be back tonight. Tonight will be different. We're gonna, uh, we need some, uh, some different things for volunteer and serving and so forth. Uh, but the majority of the service is going to be centered around the idea of trying to let you know what I'm going to be preaching next Sunday at this hour. And uh, I want our church family to be ready to share the gospel with the people that they bring. And uh, you say, man, I don't know how to do that. Well, come tonight. I think I'll be able to help you uh, know what I'm preaching and then how, how you just jump from that into uh, a moment of saving faith. And you say, I can't do that. Well, come tonight. We're going to try to help you with that and give you some options. So this morning, we're looking at going home with the gospel. Most of us in this room, and I know not all maybe, perhaps you're here and you're the, you're, you, you have no concept of what salvation is or church is. If that's you, I want you to hold on. We're going to show you who Jesus is right here in the text. But for the most of us, I would say in this room, most of us recognize that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh, for those in the room who have trusted Christ as Savior know that he He is the only name by which man can be saved. Uh, There is no salvation in a church. There is no salvation in a man, dead or living. There is only salvation in Jesus Christ. And uh, we understand as God's people, there is just that way of salvation. And at the same time, and I want to take kind of two kind of understandings. On one hand, we as God's people know there's just one method of salvation. While at the same time, there are many in this room who know many outside of this room who have never come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. And God has particularly put you in relationships with people for the sake of the Great Commission. We all know people that we sincerely love, or even people that we we don't really even know that well, but are within our sphere of influence. We all know people who have a soul. We all know people who have a future. We all know people who must absolutely come by the way of the cross in order to be saved. Because the fact of the matter is, there is only one way, one truth, one life, and no one goes to the Father except through the Son. And so every human being must and can only come through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as it stands right now, I want you to think about the people perhaps on your list, if you recognize this, hopefully each of you have one. And if you don't, grab an envelope at the back and give some out this week. But for those who have tracked along the last few weeks and know what that is, on that list of people, there are people who have legitimate obstacles in their way as it relates to them being saved. 
Perhaps there's unbelief represented on one of those names. Maybe there is some uh, false belief, maybe on one of these names. I think about one particular man that I talked to, I believe it was yesterday, Saturday, and uh, had a good long conversation, one of my neighbors on my list right here, uh, who has a false belief system. And so there's obstacles in the way of these people. Maybe there's some confusion on your list of people that, hey, maybe they think Jesus is one thing when the Bible teaches he's another. Maybe there's some level of disinterest in spiritual things. Those are all legitimate obstacles for the people we know and love to be saved. But can I challenge you this morning that one obstacle that absolutely should not exist in their way of being saved is us? You understand what I'm saying? There's plenty of things that would keep these people right here from coming to saving faith. Uh, they've got goals and dreams, and maybe they're, they're focused on something else, and, and they're chasing something. And so when they look at the idea of coming to church, there's all kinds of obstacles in their way. But you know one obstacle I don't want in the way of these five people is me. I don't want me to not share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible very clearly tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, that uh, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. As John tells us, we have the light that lighteth all men inside of us. And what we've been examining over the course of the last few weeks uh, through the, the, the text of Scripture is that it's not our job as Christians to force them to be saved. It's not our job as Christians even to, to, to convince them to be saved. We certainly can't save them. Our job is so much easier. And over the last two weeks, we've been looking at that. Essentially, our job is to tell them to come and see a man that told us all things ever we did. Essentially, our responsibility is to stay behind like the maniac of Gadara and answer questions and just try to point them to Jesus Christ to lift him up so that he would draw all men unto himself. And as we saw with the, the story of the woman at the well, to let Jesus stand on his own two feet in their eyes. And my hope is that this week we would have the courage, whether we've already done it or are supposed to do it this week, that we would have the courage to lift Jesus up in the eyes of those that we know and love and give them the opportunity to simply come and see a man who told us all things ever we did. And I love that story, the woman at the well. I love how at the end of the story, the, the townspeople come and they say, hey, we believe Jesus, not because of your words, but because we heard him for ourselves. And my hope is that we invite our family and our friends and that they don't trust Christ because of what I say or what you say, but because they'll hear the words of Jesus for themselves and he'll stand on his own two feet and bring them to a saving faith in him. And I take great comfort, Christian, this morning that it's not our job to force our mom who doesn't go to church to come to church and get saved. It's just our job to invite her. It's just our job to bring her the words of Jesus. It's not our job to force them to see Christ as we see him. It's simply our job to invite him to come and see him as he is. And you're going to see that in a big way in this story this morning. Relationship evangelism, what we've been talking about, uh, just like the woman at the well and the maniac of Gadara, relationship evangelism happens when we engage our relationships for the sake of the gospel. This morning is our final chance to examine this before True Purpose Sunday. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at another character. This time it's a man, a man who meets Jesus and goes home with the gospel. And this time, not just back to his city, to his friends, but he actually goes home to a first degree relative. He goes home to his brother. Now, listen, can I tell you, it goes exactly as you and I would fear uh, when you think of, hey, I got people on my list, or I got a brother who's lost, I got an older sibling or a sister who's lost, if I go to them, what if something bad happens? Well, I'm going to tell you the story we're going to look at today goes about exactly like that. It doesn't go the way that Andrew hopes it would. Andrew, as the Bible describes him, is the brother of Simon Peter. Now, you probably all recognize Simon Peter, but in a, in a moment, we're going to watch Andrew's sincere and slightly awkward uh, encounter with Christ. 
Andrew is going to realize that this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he is going to wake up the first thing in the morning, and he is going to run with all his might to go get his brother Peter and to bring Peter back and show him who Christ is. And you're going to see what happens in that story in just a few moments. But before you even read that account or the account of Luke chapter number five, can I ask you a question that you probably already know the answer to? And this is, this is the whole sermon right here. Can I ask you this question? Why do you think Andrew went and told his brother Peter about the Messiah? Why do you think Andrew got up in the morning and made his way all the way back to his brother's house to get his grown brother and bring his grown brother out into the wilderness to meet a man, uh, probably camping outside somewhere? Why do you think Andrew went back and got his brother? What motivated him? Do you think maybe he woke up and it was Saturday morning at 10 a.m. and realized, oh my goodness, it's time to go soul winning. Uh, Who am I going to talk to? Let me go talk to Peter. I don't think that was the reason that he went to his brother. Do you think that Andrew perhaps was afraid of being a a bad Christian and didn't know exactly who to go talk to? Uh, Do you think that was what was motivating Andrew perhaps? I think all of us would understand what motivated Andrew to go back to his brother. And it wasn't because he had an envelope, he'd feel bad if he didn't give it out. All of us would recognize what drove Andrew to go get his brother is the same thing that would drive you and I to go get our brother. He owes us money. I'm just kidding. They love his, he loved his brother. He loved Peter. But let's take some time and pray, and then we're going to dive into our study this morning uh, for just a little bit. Father, would you guide us today? Lord, I need your help. I need your guidance. Lord, you know my heart. You know the concerns that are in my soul. But I pray, God, that today we would just be able to take the word and let it fall on our ears. I pray that we'll be able to take the word and see what happens when one brother tries to bring his brother to Christ and Father, I pray that we would take courage through these situations. I pray, God, that we take courage this week because we've all got a responsibility this coming week, Lord, to, to try to go and to try to share and to try to bring someone we know and love to this, this particular Sunday and this opportunity where the gospel is going to be the focal point of the entire service. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would do a work in our hearts through the preaching and the reading and the study of your word. God, we love you and we thank you for this book. We thank you so much that we get to open it this morning. We get to study it this morning. We don't have to come up with something crafty to say. We just get to open the Bible and let the Bible speak to our hearts. And I pray in a powerful way you'd do that. I pray in a powerful way, God, we'd engage with scripture this morning. In a powerful way, we'd allow the word of God to to root into our hearts and lives because the the struggle of of the woman last week was so prevalent to us this, this past week. But God, the struggle of this brother for his brother's soul is also relevant for each and every one of us this week. And so God, do a work in us. Let this word take root in our hearts. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. We're going to start this morning in John's account of the story of Peter's first engagement with Jesus. John's account of the gospel uh, uh, starts with the assertion of Christ's deity, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was flesh, and the Word was with God, so forth. It asserts that Jesus is both God and eternal in all ways, shape, and form. That's the first 18 verses. But in verse number 19 of chapter 1, the narrative portion of John's gospel opens. And it doesn't open with the Christmas story. It doesn't open with the nativity. It opens with a front-face view of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, in verse 19 and beyond, he's arguing with Pharisees about his ministry. The Pharisees are wondering, why are you baptizing and why are you preaching this message? And John the Baptist says, well, because he's here, because the Christ is come and, and uh, I'm not even worthy to unloose his foot. And he is the Christ and he's present with us today. And, and so he is asserting the deity of Jesus as he's preaching to the, the Pharisees there. 
Uh, the record of John baptizing Christ actually isn't even included in this story. The story opens after John has already baptized Christ, and it's a conversation that John is having. Now, I want to pick up in verse number 29. John, in verse 19 through 28, is preaching to the Pharisees, declaring the ministry of Christ. And then in verse 29, he's going to talk to his disciples and the people around. Listen in with me, if you would, and let's read together in verse 29 of John chapter 1. It says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he uh, should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. So real quick, there's kind of a, a couple days that pass in these first couple chapters or first couple verses. Prior to verse 29, John is arguing with Pharisees. Let's call that day one. The very next day, Jesus actually shows up in the region that John is at. And John looks and says, see, folks, that's the man I'm talking about. This is the one who came before me and was preferred before me. And he says, this is the Christ I told you about yesterday. So day one, day two, he sees him. Notice what happens in verse number 32. John begins to testify of who Christ is. This is John the Baptist. And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. It abode upon him. I knew him not, but he was sent, uh, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. I saw and bear record that this is the son of God. And so day one, John's arguing with Pharisees. Day two, Christ shows up and John says, that's the guy I'm talking about. He's the one the spirit of God came down upon when he got baptized. The heavens opened. This is the Christ. Now, why does this matter? Well, understand this. We don't see it yet, but it's here in the text. There's some people with John watching this. One of them is Andrew. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 35. Again, the next day. So now we're on day three. After John stood and two of his disciples. Now, we don't know this yet, but later in the text, it'll tell us one of them is Andrew. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. So this is day three. Throw yourself into Andrew's shoes. He's going to be our primary objective in this story. Uh, Andrew is here with John the Baptist. John's arguing with Pharisees. It's a little uncomfortable. It's a little tense. But he hears John baptize someone. And the father said, it's his son. And the heavens opened and the Holy Ghost descended. Wow, I want to meet that person. Well, the next day, day two comes and Jesus shows up and John asserts, this is he who I'm talking about. We don't even know if Andrew makes eye contact with Christ, but we know that Andrew is more than likely in this story. And now day three comes up and they wake up and they're looking for Jesus and they just watch him walk. Now, I'll say this. I never really noticed how comical this, this story kind of is. But think with me, you got John and two of his disciples watching Christ afar off, and they're just, they're just watching him walk. He doesn't know they're watching. Well, he's Jesus, so he certainly knows. But he's watching John, Andrew, and this other disciple, who we don't know his name, are just watching Christ walk. But look at verse 37. And the two disciples, one of whom is Andrew, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So they're standing here with John on day three. They heard about him day one. They saw him on day two. Day three, they're watching him from a distance and they look to John and they're like, I don't want to just watch him walk. Can I go follow him? And they begin to follow Jesus. But what's unique about the story is they never announced they're following Jesus. Watch what happens in verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following so picture in your mind, they're talking to John. We're going to go follow him. We're, we're losing him over the hill. Can we go chase after him? And they chase after him, but they never announce their presence. 
Jesus actually knows they're behind him, and he turns around, and he, he, he says, hey, you're following me. They never asked to follow him, but look what Jesus says to them in verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, what seek ye? So here you have Christ walking through these regions. There's two guys who are watching him way over there. They're now following him afar off. Christ knows they're following. He turns around, and he says, hey, fellows, what do you want? Why are you following me? What's, what's going on? And notice their answer. They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? So to me, and I, I don't mean to be irreverent with the scripture, that's a little bit of a strange question. Imagine if, if you were out and you were walking through Walmart and two guys come up to you. You don't know they're watching you. They've been watching you for a while. They started following you. And then you kind of, you feel someone's behind you. So you turn around, you look at them, you say, hey guys, what, what, what's up? What do you need? And they say, hey, we just want to know where you sleep. <laughs> Maybe not the best answer. But they just said, where dwellest thou? And what I love, uh, th this is true. Brother Hunter told me uh, he has a, he's a professional stalker. Did you know that Brother Hunter's a professional stalker? In the Boy Scouts, you can get a, a badge for professionally stalking someone. If you follow them for a certain amount of time and they don't make you, you get a professional stalking badge. So see Brother Hunter for pointers after this. Not Andrew or this other disciple. They totally get made. But what I love about it is that Christ isn't deterred by this. Even though it's somewhat awkward, Christ isn't deterred. Notice what he says to them. He saith unto them, two, three of my favorite words in the Bible, come and see. We've seen this phrase so many times. It happens two or three more times in this chapter alone. I love that phrase. He says, listen, come and see. Keep reading. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So this is the end of day three. Day one, John the Baptist arguing with the Pharisees. Day two, Christ shows up. It's him. Day three, they're watching from the peak. They follow him. Hey, where are you going? Can we spend the day? They spend the rest of the day and maybe even the night with Christ. And I want you to notice in verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So these men, it's about 2 p.m. when they, uh, rather, it's about 4 p.m. when they get with Christ. And it seems they stay the rest of the day and even into the night. And could you just imagine what those conversations with Andrew and Jesus were about? I wish I could hear the questions Andrew asked. Andrew's been a faithful follower of John the Baptist for as long as we've known him. And uh, I cannot imagine what, what uh, Andrew's asking. I wish I could know the questions. But I want you just to think for a minute. What, what do we already know about Andrew? He's going to be our main character for the most part. What do we already know about him? Well, He's a faithful follower of John the Baptist. He's a faithful Jew looking for the promise of the Messiah. He no doubt grew up knowing the promises in synagogue. Uh, he, he now is sitting in front of asking questions to the man that John the Baptist told him is the Messiah. And as a faithful follower of the forerunner of Christ, he hears firsthand that this truly is the Christ. And Christ comes uh, to John and John again asserts, this is him. So now he knows this must be him. I wonder if that night, day three into day four, I wonder if John, uh, if Andrew slept at all. I wonder if back here when he first laid eyes on Christ on day two, I wonder if when he went to bed that night, he thought, I mean, I hope he's still in the area tomorrow. And sure enough, they woke up and they found him and they followed him. And maybe this really is the Messiah. And by the time day four hits, Andrew is fully convinced that he has found Christ. Can you think for just a second, these men have been followers of John the, John the Baptist the entire time. Now they ask, can we follow him? Not knowing exactly what that would mean. They get caught. They get, they ask, what, is, what, what are you seeking? And they say, we just want to follow you. We just want to see what's going on and who you are. And, and we want to, we want to come home and dwell with you and, and ask you some questions. And then the next day, I want you to see in verse number 41, what Andrew does. And this is really the heartbeat of the text. Look at verse 41. This is day four. 
he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Listen, I cannot imagine how that morning went for Andrew. Excited, waking up, he sets out to go find his brother, no doubt having asked Christ first, because he has to know where to find Jesus. But here's how in my mind it happens. He wakes up day four and says, Christ, I got to go get my brother. I got to go talk to him. If if you'll just wait right here, I promise I'll go as fast as I can. I won't be long. I got a brother who just needs to meet you. Will you stay put so I can go get my brother, Peter? You can see in my mind's eye the gentle smile of the omniscient Christ, knowing who his brother was. Andrew probably had no concept of this, but Christ knew who he was. And listen, he sets out and he comes to to Peter and the best he can come up with is this. The best he can come up with is we have found him. We found the Messiah. Peter, come, please. Let me show you who he is. I know where he's at. Come with me. Gentlemen, can you take the conversation outside for me? Oh, is it this? Okay, I see what's going on. We're good. He says, we found him. Would you come with me? And then look at verse number 42. Look at verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. Listen, there is no greater brotherly act of love than what's being done right there. That here is a brother who saw Christ in the flesh. He runs to his brother and says, would you please come with us? I found him. Let's bring you back to Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 42, please, if you would. We're having that taken care of. We got plenty of folks dealing with it. Verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, are you ready for this? Look up here. This is the only sentence that happens between Peter and Jesus right now. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation, a stone. So here's the conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter. He says, hey, you're, uh, you're Simon's brother, right? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Simon's brother. He says, you're, you're, or, forgive me, you're Andrew's brother, right? Simon, right? And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to change your name to Peter. But can I tell you what I think happened in this story? I'm going to tell you what I think happened. I'm going to tell you why I think it happened. And the Bible, I I believe, backs up my theory. As Andrew frantically brings his brother to Christ and says, this is him. They have a one-sentence conversation. And here's what I think happened. I don't think Peter was impressed. I don't think Peter was a believer. I don't think Peter was blown away. I don't even think he was convinced that Andrew, his brother, was right. I think that Peter thought this is just another teacher in this story. It's just like Andrew's other teacher, John the Baptist. Now, here's another teacher that my brother's following. Now you say, Pastor, why would you say that? Well, because the Bible tells us this is not the moment Peter follows Christ. In fact, you've got to go over to Luke chapter number five to get to that if you would. This is not even close to the moment that Peter places his faith in Christ. That comes later in a far more confrontational exchange with Christ in Luke chapter five. Would you please go there? But as you're going to Luke chapter number five, could you in your mind multitask with me? Can you see Andrew? Here's Andrew, super excited. I mean, he probably didn't sleep. He was so excited to tell his brother. He had found the Christ. John the Baptist told him it was him. He sat with him that night. He asked him questions. He was so convinced. He ran home and he got Peter and he brings Peter and he says, he's right there. That's the Christ. And this awkward conversation happens where Jesus says, hey, you're uh, Andrew's brother, Simon, right? I'm going to call you Peter. I know you don't understand that, but I'm going to call you Peter from now on. And look at me. That's the end of the conversation. Back in John chapter one, verse 43, Jesus goes on to call Philip. Jesus goes on to call Nathaniel. But at no point do we ever see in John's gospel that Peter follows Christ in that moment. In fact, you got to go to Luke chapter number five to see what happens there. Can you imagine how Andrew feels as the brother? Peter didn't even see it. 
Peter, don't, didn't you hear it in his voice? Like, this is the Christ, Peter. This has got to be him. And you might think I'm making up some of this unbelief. But the fact of the matter is, if you know the story of Luke chapter number five, you're going to see how much unbelief Peter still possesses. In Luke chapter number five, keep this in mind. Jesus and Peter have already met. That's John chapter one. This is the second time Peter is going to lay eyes on Jesus. And I want you to see the attitude that Peter possesses after already his brother having come and brought him and said, look, it's Jesus. It's the Messiah. And the story ends. But then we pick up in chapter five of Luke. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So here's what's happening. At this point, Christ has already started his earthly ministry. He's already preaching, and he's at a seashore. He just so happens to be at the same place Peter and Andrew have docked their boat. And he's preaching to these people, and the people begin to press in. And I want you to notice what happens in verse 2. And, the two saw, and, the, and saw two ships standing by the lake, which the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he, Jesus entered into one of the ships, read the next three words, please, which was, which was Simon's. Now, I don't know if I'm reading into this too much, but it doesn't seem like Christ asks permission. Seems like he just gets on Peter's boat. He already knows him, but look, notice, notice what, what name is being used as well. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's and prayed him, Simon, that he would thrust out a little further from the land. And so Christ steps on the boat of this man he's already met. Andrew, no doubt, is there. And he says, hey, Simon, can you push out a little bit so I can preach? Verse number three, look at the end. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, I wonder if Peter might have thought this was a waste of time as well. And you're going to see Peter is irritated at this exchange. If you know the rest of the chapter, you know Peter is irritated at this exchange. Who is this guy? Why are you on my boat? I'm a fisherman. Let me do my thing. You do your thing. But Peter has just come back from a long, unsuccessful night of fishing. No doubt wants to go home. He's mending his nets so he can put him in the boat and go back home and get some rest for that day. Uh, and now Andrew's teacher is preaching over here. It just so happens to be there. Now Andrew's teacher wants to get on the boat and thrust out a little bit and push off from the shore. And so Peter acquiesces. In my, my opinion, Peter's still fixing uh, nets. I don't think he's listening to what Christ is saying. Look at verse number four. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon. Notice the, the intentionality of Christ for, for Peter. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Here it comes. The clearest look into Peter's heart. Peter met Jesus in John chapter number one. Andrew ran him all the way there, had a short conversation and left. Now Jesus is on Peter's boat and Jesus is going to tell him, hey, why don't you go ahead and launch out into the deep and let down your nets and catch some fish? And look at verse number five. You can see the unbelief in Peter's heart. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master. That's your first indicator. It just means teacher. It means rabbi. It means, okay, John the Baptist is your, your teacher, Philip, or Andrew, and, and Jesus is your teacher as well. And Simon said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. He says, listen, listen, teacher. Hey, you're a teacher. I'm a fisherman. Uh, I do this for a living. This is my boat. This is the boat I grew up on. We fished all night, sir. Like, with all due respect, you're a preacher. I'm a fisherman. I, I'm, that, that, that seems like a waste of time to throw down my nets. And Simon ans answering said unto him, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. There is a clear window into the heart of Peter right here. It's almost as though Peter says, stay in your lane to Christ. Now, again, stop for a second. Stop for a second. Think about Andrew right now. 
Andrew desperately wants his brother to have faith in Christ. Andrew ran all morning to get his brother to bring him back to Christ. And Peter didn't believe. Now Jesus is on their boat and Peter still doesn't believe. And here's Andrew trying to exercise and engage his relationship with his brother to bring him to Christ. But his brother keeps refusing it. Peter has been so inconvenienced these last few times. He had to come with Andrew to go meet this guy in the wilderness that he'd never meet. He'd had a long night of catching nothing. and All he wants to do is pack up and go home. But now Andrew's friend is back on the boat, and Simon's just trying to mend the nets. Can we just get done with this? Now we got to go cast the nets out. And then verse number six happens. And when they had done, had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckon unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. Can you see Andrew now? If I'm Andrew, I have the biggest I told you so look on my face I could ever muster. You didn't believe me when we ran to him the first time. You didn't believe me when they got on the boat the first time. Now their boat is beginning to sink because there's something different about this man. And I want you to notice in verse number eight, look at this, please. The first time this word is used. And when Simon, what's the word? Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, not his feet. He lays his head on his lap saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Oh, what's that word? Doesn't call him teacher. Doesn't call him rabbi. Doesn't call him master. He calls him Lord. And you could see a clear change in the heart of Peter, where once Simon wanted to get away from him, now Peter says, please, you get away from me. I'm unclean. I'm a sinful man. You are something else. And at the end of verse number 10, there's this beautiful exchange. You got to look at it. Verse number 10 of Luke 5. He says, Simon, fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. This is a very different exchange than John chapter 1. This is a very different response from when Andrew brought his brother the first time, where it doesn't appear that Peter said a single word to Christ. He may have, he may not have. We do know that John chapter 1 ends without a converting faith in Peter. But Luke chapter number 5 ends with Peter forsaking all and following Jesus. And what you're looking at, how does this fit into the whole morning message this morning, Pastor? What you're looking at, number one, is the amazing record of the persistent faith of Andrew, that he kept trying. You're also looking at the progressing faith of the skeptical brother, Peter. And this story has some powerful truths to take home with us this week as we prepare for True Purpose Sunday. And I want to drive home the truths we read in our text this morning in a list of a couple questions. I think I have three questions for you, and we'll be done this morning. Question number one, I already asked it to you. Why do you think that Andrew went after his brother? to bring him to the Messiah without delay. Very, very next day, as early as he could, he got up and said, I'm going to be back. I'm going to go get my brother. And he drags him to Jesus. Why do you think he did that? Do you think he did it because John the Baptist told him he had to do it? You think he did it because Christ even himself demanded that he do it? You think Christ woke up and Peter or Andrew woke up and he said, hey, all right, it's time to go soul winning. I don't think that's what happened at all. The, uh, the answer is obvious. Why would Andrew go get Peter is obvious to every one of us that have family. Because we love them. If Andrew knows the Messiah, and Andrew loves his brother, then Andrew, by love, desires that his brother Peter come to know the Messiah as well. Listen, and it's been said, soul winning is simply one beggar 
telling another beggar where he got to eat. Listen, if you have a family member, a brother, or a sister, or a mom, or a best friend, or a coworker, why should you give them an invitation? Well, because you have to. No, because you love them. Because if Christ really is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, then they must come by the way of the cross. Listen, if your brother is lost and on his way to hell, then you and you have found eternal life, love ought to be the motivator that brings you to his doorstep. Love ought to be the one that makes you pick up the call. And listen, love is okay with awkward. You imagine, I don't know what it was like, and I don't mean to add anything into Scripture, but when, when Andrew brings Peter, all right, it's him, it's that guy, it's not the other guy, that's my friend, it's that guy right there. And Jesus says, hey, you're Andrew's brother, right, Simon? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to call you Peter from now on. Okay. All right, we'll see you later. That's how John chapter 1 ends. There's nothing more. There's nothing added to it. Love's okay with awkward if it's bringing them to Christ. Love's okay with inconvenience. Love's okay with taking a risk or even looking a little bit fanatical, which I'm convinced that Andrew did look a little fanatical after the whole following John, following Jesus thing. But in hopes that they could see Jesus as the Messiah, listen, Andrew is a tremendous example of brotherly love. So let me ask you, who's on our list that we love? And is love the motivator for it? Don't go because you have to. Don't invite them because you feel obligated. Don't invite them because, man, I got five invitations, and if I have three left, then I'm going to get in trouble. No, no, no. Let love be the thing that motivates you to bring Peter to Christ. Question number one, why did Andrew go get his brother? Well, because he loved him and because he found the Messiah. And I would submit that description fits most of us in the room, that there are people we know that we love, and there's a God that we know as the Messiah and the Savior of humanity, whom we love, and love should be the motivating bridge between those two worlds. Question number two, I want you to answer this. Did it work the first time? Did Andrew's fervor result in the prompt conversion of Peter, his brother? The answer is no. John chapter one ends with a one-sentence conversation between Christ and Peter. Peter, again, seems unimpressed and certainly unconvinced. And for all of Andrew's excitement, and for all of Andrew's faith, and for all of the fervor and effort Andrew poured into that, Peter had to see Christ for himself. And at first, he did not. And can I just encourage our church family this morning? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes the person we are most excited about bringing to Christ shows up, hears the gospel, sees the Jesus of the Bible, and says, cool. I'm glad that works for you and walks away. Sometimes you run home the week you get saved and you're just so excited. You expect your mom and your brother and your sister, you expect them to come and you finally get them to to load into the van and you drag them to church and and all this pent up excitement. They're going to get saved today at the altar. And then nothing happens. Listen, sometimes the people we love the most are not as excited about the teacher we've found. Oh, yeah, Casey, that's just another teacher you're following. But you're like, no, 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 this time, it, it, it's not just John the Baptist. It's, it's Jesus. It's not just some internet teacher. It's not just some pastor. I, I didn't just find religion or find church. Jesus found me. He's the Messiah. And sometimes it's hard to get that concept across to them. But listen, it's a hard reality to accept, but it's true. Peter has to see Jesus for himself. And the people that you love that are on your list that you're praying over this week, maybe a spouse or a friend or a coworker, they must come and see Jesus for themselves. And sometimes they don't see him at first. 
Sometimes they're so caught up with their priorities or their own belief system or their own teachers. Maybe they tried church one time. But can I encourage you to be Andrew and not give up on Peter? Can I encourage you, listen, that Jesus isn't done pursuing Peter yet. John 1 happens and it's over. But remember what I said? It just so happens Christ shows up at the Sea of Galilee. It just so happens Christ is preaching on the same seashore that Andrew's boat and Peter's boat is parked. It just so happens that Christ is going to preach and get in that boat and bring Peter out and show him a great miracle. The fact of the matter is Jesus can stand on his own two feet, church family. All we have to do is tell them to come and see and let Jesus take care of the rest. Now, let me, let me bring it this way. Jesus meets Peter where he was. But at the same time, Jesus met Andrew where he was too. Andrew was the tender case. Andrew was the one who was already faithful, already searching for the Messiah. He's following John the Baptist, the last prophet, the forerunner. He's all in this thing. And Peter's over there just trying to fish, trying to pay the bills. Andrew was the tender case. Andrew was the one who, you remember, was stalking Jesus, following him afar off. Hey, we just, we just want to know where you're sleeping tonight. Can we hang out with you today? That's Andrew. And all it took for Andrew were the words of Christ to believe. No miracle was necessary. Just being around Jesus proved to Andrew he was the Messiah. And let me say this. Some in the room, you're like Andrew. You came to faith quickly. It wasn't hard for you. You got to church. You heard the gospel the first time. You're like, man, I want that. I'm I'm already seeking and searching. I've I've been looking for this. And man, here he is. And I'm going to get saved. Now, let me ask. I was an Andrew. Who else was an Andrew? It was easier for you to come to faith. That is a blessing. How many of you were Peter? Took multiple times. Jesus coming after you. Jesus coming again. Jesus not just giving up on you. And listen, it took more for Peter, but Jesus wasn't done with Peter. Now listen, all that happened the first time was Christ gave him a different name, and then Peter leaves and nothing else is done. But Christ faithfully shows up searching for Peter. And can I just say this? None of it would have happened if Andrew had given up on his brother. So can I say, and here's my whole goal in, in this whole story. You may bring someone next week, and you might be like, yes, they're going to see Jesus. And they might, and I'm praying for that. And you ought to pray for that this week. You ought to even fast about that this week. But let's say we bring them. We run them all the way here. Come on, Andrew. It's right here. Listen. And they listen, and they hear, and they say, hey, man, I'm so glad you guys, you have church. It seems like a good church family. That's not for me. Is it over? Did we fail? No, Jesus isn't done. The beautiful thing about Christ, again, is that he can stand on his own two feet. So here's my last question. I end with this. Number one, what motivated Andrew to go to Peter? It was love. Number two, did it work the first time? The answer is no. Here's my last question. Was it worth it, though? Was it worth Andrew getting up the first day? I'll be right back. I'm going to go get my brother and running him home. The answer is yes. Andrew and Peter will spend the rest of their lives after Luke chapter 5 forsaking their nets and fishing for men. They will spend the rest of their lives as not just disciples, but apostles of Jesus Christ, winning the world to Christ. Both of their lives come to a place of eternal significance. And that all started because Andrew received something day two. John arguing with Pharisees. Day two, Jesus shows up and and John says, that's him. Day three, Andrew follows. He's received Christ. Andrew then goes to his brother. All of this started because someone who had the Messiah was willing to go to someone they loved who didn't have the Messiah. And can I end just with this thought? And I'll close my Bible and shut my iPad off. I am done. Christ died for the people you love. 
He loves them so much more than you and I could. Andrew loved Peter diligently and deeply, enough to drag his brother to come and see this man that he'd met. But Christ loved Peter enough that he would follow up on him. And so here's what I encourage you. Don't be the obstacle that stops them from coming to faith. Be the one who creates the opportunity and let Christ take care of the rest. You don't have to save a single person next week or this week. That's Jesus' work. But you are called to tell them to come and see. So let's pray.